You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can help us by being a sponsor at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we're looking at the Doom Watch episode by the pricking of my thumbs. In a secondary school, some students sabotage another student's science experiment, making it so that it will explode. The results go pretty much exactly how any rational person would expect them to go. The student is burned and has glass lodged in his eye. At Doom Watch, Dr. Chantry is helping visiting scientist, Mr. Ensor, do chromosomal studies. It's clear Quist isn't a big fan of this project and believes Ensor is making too much from his extremely limited data. Ensor is studying the effects of men possessing double Y chromosomes and how that influences their violent behavior. Chantry is helping him study blood samples taken from prisoners. At the school, the three boys are on the carpet, and while only two of them were actually active in sabotaging the experiment, all three stick together and will not rat on one another. The victim faces the potential loss of his eye, and the perpetrators face expulsion. Ensor is there too, and after the boys leave, he begins expounding on the fruits of his work, and that in light of who one of the three students is, Stephen Franklin, an adopted child, it may make sense. Unbeknownst to Ensor or the headmaster, Stephen was the one child who did not actively participate in the prank. When the two culprits are given an essay on environment versus heredity as their punishment, but Stephen is expelled from school, Stephen's father is irate. He pieces together that Somehow, the school is assuming that Stephen has double Y chromosomes and is, in effect, predisposed to violence and bad behavior and therefore must have been the instigator of the prank. Mr. Franklin also happens to be a journalist and, through the wildest of coincidences, happens to have written several articles popularizing the view that double Y chromosomes lead to violent individuals. He takes his plight to Doomwatch. Quist knows of Mr. Franklin, and he does not appreciate a journalist who simplifies scientific data to the point where it is easily misunderstood by the layman, and he has no sympathy for him. Ridge, meanwhile, through his constant sexual activity, has discovered that the blood samples Chantry has been analyzing aren't from prisoners, but happen to be samples extracted from students at Stevens School, where Ensor has been carrying on his research. This angers Chantry, who has been lied to, but it softens Quist's heart. Just a little. There's still one mysterious question. Ensor hasn't gotten around to taking blood samples from the older students yet. How does he seem to know that Stephen is double Y? Quest puts Ridge on the case. Ridge puts Hardcastle on the case, who has apparently been hiding in a broom closet at Doomwatch for the last few weeks. Stephen runs across his father's articles on double Y chromosomes and puts two and two together for himself. He runs away from home and heads to Gatwick, because he's a 
bit of a plane enthusiast. Ridge talks with the other two pranksters. One admits that Stephen had tried to stop them and that he even told the headmaster that Stephen wasn't at fault. But the headmaster dismissed his comments, his mind already made up. Hardcastle tracks the boy to Gatwick, where he tries to commit suicide on the runway. Ridge and Quist discover that 10 years ago, Ensor had worked at the care center that Stephen was adopted from and must have collected his chromosome data years ago. Hardcastle saves Stephen, and with Doomwatch's intervention, he is readmitted to school, and Ensor and the headmaster are given a bit of a talking to by Quist. We may yet be proved to be the sum total of our chemical components, but until that bleak day dawns, I suggest we treat ourselves and our children as responsible, even moral beings. The end. So, wow, too much. <laughs> Again. <laughs> I just, they're just having fun with this stuff, aren't they? Um, laying bare the, fun pro right. uh, the problems of our... So, so what did you think of, of this episode of Doomwatch? I, I, I mean, again, I thought the issues were still all quite relevant, but somehow when it came to making as gripping a drama as they have done in the past few weeks out of it, they didn't quite land this one. It, Did you use that joke intentionally because of the whole airport suicide thing? Uh, no, I was thinking oh, of fishing. Right. But oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, guess, I guess it could work that way. Okay, yes, I did. Um, Fair enough. I, I, I mean, that, to me, it seemed like the problem was more that um, the, there's, a, there's an interesting issue here, and in fact, there are, there are potentially... There are potentially three interesting issues here, which may be a weakness because it sort of dilutes what the the kind of the moral core of this is. Um, because they wanted to talk about you know extrapolating from insufficient data, which is an mm -hmm. issue. Okay, um, can be hard to make that sexy, but possibly um, there's a whole big thing there which I do feel is particularly quite relevant now, which is all about the use of um, personal data and uh, informed consent and all of that kind of thing and I'm absolutely fascinated because I just I just don't know and I guess I guess you don't um, either because neither of us were around in 1971 England for different reasons what exactly the the the, the legal and the, the sort of norms would be around the way that they were handling this data but then i think maybe the big one was the one around biology and crime or um should we say genetics and hereditary <laughs> um because yeah. that that i mean that the the xyy thing is not something i'd come across personally um but in a way, that 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 you know that would have been a hot thing, I guess, in 1971. I looked it up, and it was maybe 10 years old. That stuff it was pretty mm -hmm. new, and still the the kind of controversy that is airing in this episode gets debated 
uh, at conferences, at academic conferences, in this years subsequent to this episode. So it was it was kind of it was ahead of the curve on yeah. that, and impressively so. And I think it I think it remains an interesting issue that you know the whole thing of well if if you know if we think certain sectors of the population are for genetic reasons going to be predisposed to criminal activity how do we respond to that but the problem was the 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 kind of way the issue was put across in this was so crude and the and the kind of emotional reactions that they tried to generate didn't really feel like they actually connected with the issue so that that was where i i thought the the episode really fell down so let me ask this question then. Skipping ahead in my notes, one of the topics here is also, and it's a side topic, is the reporting of scientific findings. Because Quist is mm-hmm. very down on Franklin. Because Franklin, a reporter, has simplified science for the layman. And he makes the argument that you have to do that. And and he also makes the argument that the articles he did five years ago were, in fact, based on what the prevailing scientific feeling was. At least that's what he's characterizing it as. Uh, we don't know whether that's true or not, but but I think I think he's being honest there that when well, he, he says well that to Quist. And so there is and 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 i mean that's the thing we have now i mean i was i was literally just listening to a podcast this morning that was looking at the currently hot topic thing about video games and violent behavior and i didn't know this um, yeah, so that's pa- a hot topic. Yeah, I'll well, pass the link between guns and violent behavior. That's that's pretty <laughs> well, dull. Yeah. Well, but okay. So what what was I did not know about this was that the 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 most uh, I think the American Psychological may have that organization name, but the the organization in the United States that for psychology um, did put out a study that wasn't. As black and white as you know, people like to to make the argument that they did in fact find a link between video games, violent video games, and aggression. And so that was picked up by the press and picked up by a lot of people who wanted to make whatever point they wanted to make, and said, "You see, violent video games lead to violence," but. But they had to come back a few years later and re-clarify that paper and said, we didn't say it increases violence. We said it increases aggression. And those are not the same thing. You can, you can be aggressive mm-hmm. by, you know, playing in a soccer match, you know, trying to win, being you are being aggressive. That is that's socially accepted aggression. My son, when he plays video games, shouts at the computer. He doesn't smash it with a baseball bat. I mean, he gets he gets wound up. He gets, but he doesn't go off and commit mass murder. Those those there's no link there. <laughs> they don't have a link there. They have a link, a slight, tiny, tiny show of increase in that it can lead to some aggression. But it's not. But that was picked up, and it's like immediately in the press, it went to aggression. That that video games violence. You 
put the pieces together because it has to be simplified because it's a very nuanced piece of scientific research. And that's exactly what we're what he's casting on on Franklin right now. But there's two things. One is from the meta standpoint, is Doomwatch doing, is the TV show Doomwatch doing the same thing? <laughs> By putting this out here in a admittedly simplified fashion for dramatic purposes. They're putting it in the mindset of people and they are not giving, you know, and they're not giving a paper. They're not intending to give out a scientific paper, but they cannot do it the nuanced justice that perhaps it serves. So are you simplifying the science in the minds of people there? And then second, a topic a that question. You, the topic that you brought up last week, um, or last episode that we were working on, had to do with people reinforcing their opinions. And I, I had to go back and watch this for the second time. The headmaster, for whatever reason, already thought Stephen Franklin had done this. The, the chemistry professor who, who knew the students from class and interacting with them did not think it. And I think he correctly identified which one was the culprit, the, the main culprit behind it. But the headmaster, for whatever reason, already had Franklin pegged. And when Ensor came in and said, oh, yeah, tall kid, right? Yeah, uh -huh. headmaster just locked on it. He used incomplete data that he was provided to reinforce the stereotype he already had in his mind. And I wanted to bring that one up just because we had discussed it last time. Um, which doesn't go anywhere other than just, once again, Doomwatch being pretty darn good about showing the way people really screw up their thinking. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, yes, I, I mean, I, I don't want to be too down on this episode because I, I do think all of these are interesting questions. The, the feeling that I had about how the treatment of these issues muddied the water was in large part because it seemed to me that for, in in many ways, Botting is he 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 is he is the one who is responsible for his decisions as headmaster. So, if he acts on something that someone who happens to be in his school conducting a study passes on to him about one of the one of the pupils, then ultimately. The responsibility for whether or not he acts on that information and how he judges that information and whether it's appropriate for him to have that information and use it is down to him as headmaster. True. But he is a headmaster. He is not... He's not a scientist. And... I didn't, I didn't really pick up on that as a theme. I mean, it's interesting... You're picking up on it now. Chris even I, mentioned I, it. Steve, Steve, uh, well, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not denying that it's there in the episode. But I, th I thought that the primary focus of the kind of culpability in all of this was the way that Doctor Ensor was conducting himself, because he, he was the one who, a, should have known better. He is 
a scientist researching this field and he is extrapolating from insufficient data and he knows it and we know he knows it because he's lying about it mm -hmm. he wasn't straight with faith and so there's there's that aspect then there's the then there's the aspect of the the ethics of his research where um he has information gathered at one institution about someone who is at another institution and yet he he uh, he shares that that information and even even the question of whether he should be sharing personal information at all about mm -hmm. the subjects of these experiments with any staff at the school i mean it's one thing for it to be anonymized but he's saying oh no this particular individual has xyy chromosome mm -hmm. um so yeah I, I i guess i hadn't been thinking about it in terms of reinforcing existing prejudices and i i, I kind of think you're right there yes I, I was actually thinking that because you know you don't know who the students are in that opening scene where the headmaster and the chemistry uh, teacher are talking, uh, right. or at least I don't know who the students are, so they're just names, right. right? So you go through the episode and then blah, blah, blah. And then I went back to watch it because what I thought had happened was that headmaster had picked student A, chemistry teacher had picked student B, and, and Franklin was, was actually C. C, and it turns out yeah. it wasn't. The headmaster was like, yeah. for my money, it's Franklin. And... Yes. Because of he's had a privileged or something, I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's no same as me. And, well, and but the, I mean, there's also the prejudice around adoption. Um, which did is he know he was adopted? I think so. Yeah. Until Ensor said it, I think he did. And then, so now another question, just to go with the whole what information you could share. When Dad goes to the headmaster and says, "About my kid." Uh, where you you know what are you basing this on? And he says, "Oh, that's confidential." Hmm. You're not going to give it to the father of of all well, the people, the the, the legally responsible it, 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 individual. Yeah, it underlines the impropriety of the of the information that has already been shared. Because if it is, if if they understand the issue of confidentiality, and you know that if they're if they're saying it, the data is that sensitive, or they are that sensitive, about in 1971 about uh, proper data protection, then they must be aware that they shouldn't be sharing the information between each other. Uh, you know, it, the, the the headmaster and Dr. Ensor are not even fellow employees. Yep. They are. They work for separate organisations, and that the the whole question of how you can have someone who is an an external researcher coming into a school and it not not just doing doing the the research, the you know the psychological surveys on the students, but actually taking blood samples from them without the parents apparently even being aware that this is going on absolutely just beggars belief watching it from the 2019 perspective i i believe it's probably f not that wrong in context of the the world that was 
I mean, I can't no say that... No one raises that, an eyebrow at it. No, I, I, I think that, you know, if I'd been in school, well, I was in school um, at that time. I wasn't that old, but I... I psh- reasonably sure that they did I wouldn't say medical experiments on us um, and that's going a bit far but I'm reasonably sure that they did whether it was medical exams or whether it was uh, studies you know without parental consent hearing tests eye tests yeah. things like that and I don't know where that data went what what, mm. what were they what were they doing with that data were they sending it off to a government organization that was making statistical analysis or were they using it to go oh you know maybe we should tell the parents this kid needs glasses i i, I don't know i really don't or that you no. know but i could I, see those being tied to learning problems if you can't hear in class if you can't see the board perhaps perhaps there's something but i mean it's just a, a hop skip and a jump and and but there's a question of whether the data is being used diagnostically or whether the question is feeding into some larger research right. project where they are hoping to draw those conclusions but then you know that is that is data sharing but i think you're right i mean i think i i don't think it was seen as the, the issue that i think it would be seen as now which does right. raise the question is 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 botting just claiming it's confidential because he doesn't want to say in which case why doesn't he want to say yeah and you know i think there's 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 something to the fact that this has kind of moved into a layer where it is about your chemicals where it is about the 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 accident of your birth it's a hmm. You know, I think now, I don't know whether the double Y chromosome thing is still going on. I, I know the most recent arguments that I've heard for this exact same thing are high levels of testosterone in men. Men with high levels of testosterone are inclined towards violence. And uh, that's, you know, so same same kind of thing. And I think there may even be something tied to that double double Y chromosome may cause high level of testosterone. I mean, there may be, that may be a link in this chain, but that's still going on. I know I've heard of that within the last five years. Um, but but, trying but to then there is... A, Go ahead. I mean, it's that, that, to, to me, that's, that's the meaty philosophical issue in this, and that's where the drama really should centre, and I, I, if, if it had got to grips with it, the, the, I think there could have been... I think there could have been something properly meaty in this one because the issue the issue around it is what do you do if that is true so there's <laughs> there is the possibility that you know it's take a very simple example okay if 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 a person happens to be male they are they're predisposed to be taller yep and so Therefore, um, all men are taller than all women. It's it's you know the, the the logic is is nonsense. It it is a factor, but there are other factors involved as well. And so, if you have some random person, 
and obviously um, if if we're talking about propensity to violence or whatever it was they thought XYY was likely to be associated with at the time it's something that you can't just see in the way that you can see height mm-hmm. um, but if you you know let's suppose you you're you're picking a random person when you happen to know that they are male then without looking at their height what can that tell you about them can it tell you they they are taller than this person or that person or taller than the norm or whatever well it can give you an indication that they might be but it doesn't determine it so if if there were just to stretch my analogy beyond breaking point but if there were some sort of misdemeanor that occurred in school where i don't know you you knew that the the perpetrator had to have been above a certain height then when you when you go around looking for your your suspects do you do you pick the tallest person i mean you can't possibly make judgments about discipline and especially something as serious as expulsion based on a factor that is involved so if the data had been let's suppose all of the all of the data gathering had been done to an exemplary standard and ensor had actually been more conservative and but the you know there was there was now sufficient data there to show his hypothesis was true mm-hmm. and we've got these three students and we know that one of them is responsible for this i mean essentially is a criminal act isn't it that um do we simply do we simply use the data that says one of them is predisposed to be violent so is maybe more likely to be violent to to go oh well we've got to punish someone it must be him uh-huh. is that how due process works is that justice Uh it's so crude it's a nonsense Uh, that's the problem with making anything dramatic out of that it's just daft and and they should have expelled all three of them if they were going to keep shut up about it Uh, and and absolutely and i'm going to go back another step my first point in my notes here is expulsion really equal to this crime because you mean should uh, they have passed it to the police yeah because that's the direction i'm going in yeah me too that's a crime that's assault uh something (laughs) like it's like well we're gonna expel you it's like wow (laughs) it's like you blew up chemicals and glass in a guy's face and that's what you're gonna get i i that that just boggled my mind um but I'm not um, saying anyone would be charged. I mean, I think I think sadly, although I'm not saying they're commonplace, these things, these kinds of things do happen, and it is obviously why supervision in chemistry labs and is, safety glasses, you know. So yeah, or, and, and and all the rest of it, everything is 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 very much um, done in a way that that uh, maximizes safety and minimizes the scope for malicious acts um but obviously that is something that has tightened up and tightened up and tightened up and 50 years is a long time (laughs) but when these events do go ahead when these events do occur i would i would still expect the police to be asking questions at the very least i'm not saying that 
prosecutions would result but you'd want to look into you know what what the intent was and what what the chances of were of proving that because if there was intent and we as who who happened to have chanced upon this video evidence of the crime can see um then yeah i think there is a case mm-hmm. i think it's interesting it's almost a throwaway line or it's a little more than a line but about treating these kids like adults you know at what point yeah. can you trust them to to behave themselves in a responsible way and you know it it is it is true we have tightened down and i admit i kind of feel like you ought to be able to leave a 17 or 18 year old kid um you know with proper training um doing some of those things i don't know maybe not explosive chemicals i thought that i thought they were like 17 but i maybe i'm maybe i misread not, that well i may i may be wrong. i thought i thought, I thought franklin was, was almost 18 because he was eight years old when they adopted him 10 years ago so. okay well yeah your math is good there okay yeah i mean so, in a sense yes i yes i would I, I yes i would expect you to be able to to leave kids of that age without them doing that those kinds of pranks although you which do- obviously by that stage they should know better and therefore yeah that all the more reason why it should be referred to the police you do only have to watch the fail videos on YouTube to know that humans are not particularly good at figuring out the consequences of some of their actions. Indeed. And I, you know, I have a question there. I mean, would they have done this if they had expected it to blow up in as horrific a way as it did? I mean, I, I, I can't. I can't tell whether or not the guy doing this was trying to get it to blow up, ha ha, that's funny, or blow up and, ah, you've been scarred for life and possibly blinded. And I I feel like he probably was just stupidly not thinking that was going to happen. I think all of them were stupidly not thinking that was going to happen. I kind of think, and and, and to me this is is, uh, quite a... A truthful treatment of it but I kind of think that the way it was portrayed the kids didn't have any any real it wasn't that they hadn't thought of the consequences it was that they didn't understand the consequences it was the reality of them were were removed from what their action was at the time and um, in I think it's Jenkins I think in his case, he's possibly something of a psychopath. Um, <laughs> the, the, the consequences that were that would have mattered for him were the consequences for him, in the sense of having got into hot water over it and and so forth. But, but for the others, I don't think that they had really thought through what might happen they if if it blew up and and if the other kid was injured oh ha ha that would be funny but they hadn't thought about it in terms of how serious that would be and what the consequences would be for for the other kid 
and the rest of it. Mm. So I, I, I think it, it's thoughtless in a, in a sense, but it's, not, it's not, not being able to think through what might happen. It's just not being able to connect with the, the reality of it. Mm. So one of the because things... You're, because you're in that moment thinking of it as a jape, I guess. That's, that was my interpretation of that. Um, one of the things I feel this episode goes to great lengths, and I think this goes in with that kind of natural portrayal of things, they do a very good job of demonstrating that Stephen is actually a nice kid. Yes. He is fundamentally at, at a basic level, and they do that partially by having him run into two people while he's really upset. And in both cases, he's clearly distraught that he ran into the people. This is not the actions of somebody who is not empathetic, who doesn't care, who is violent. These are the actions of somebody who, when you make a mistake, and you know, you are genuinely, instantly, naturally just, you know, oh, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm, I, you know, I didn't. So they 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 did a really nice yes. way of, of portraying him uh, as that. And I gotta tell you, um, I found a little bit of his, uh, you know, as a six foot three tall male myself, I, I found his sort of I'm too tall, sobbing and crying on the runway, a, a, a little touching, a little <laughs> a little heartbreaking. Uh, <laughs> Like, well, as but, a, yes, as a as a tall person myself, I did start wondering whether I have the X Y Y chromosome. <laughs> also, and and this goes to the this goes to the. There's a scene where Dad is like, "Would you try to stop them?" Well, I warned them. Well, you tried to stop them. No, I I warned them. I didn't. I mean, Stephen's very. You know, it's like he didn't try to stop them. He did. He didn't, and he, he wants he, to be honest he, about that. And he was being a voice of reason. That's right. And. Uh, and then later on, and, and, and how natural is that? And I think it kind of is. Um, but the line, if I'd been normal, I'd have stopped them. I mean, talk about the ability to, to, to turn something against yourself in your own mind. That sort of self, let's call it self-loathing. That's not quite the right word. But I mean, he, he's able to take all this input that's being thrown in. Oh, you get double Y chromosomes. Oh, you're a bad egg. Oh, you see... And he begins to believe it. His mom begins to believe it at one point in this story. You know, it's it's insidious. This stuff. It, it is. It is absolutely. And and again, I think I think to me that's directly connected to to the the kind of the the moral core of this story. But I feel we could have had a bit more development of that because. I mean, I, I totally agree with you uh, in terms of the way that Stephen is portrayed. As we learn about his character through the first part of the episode, and I don't feel that this is a criticism of the actor so much as just perhaps a lack of clarity in his motivation as the character is written. But as we get into the, the latter part of it, it's clear that he is distraught about what he has discovered in that file that you know he 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 thinks he is abnormal but i don't quite understand what his own kind of emotional reaction to that discovery is 
and I mean we see all that through through action he runs off to Gatwick um, but I didn't really understand why he was running <laughs> off to Gatwick plane spotter oh it's very very interesting if that if that was actually Gatwick Airport in 1971 and it could be because wildly different from Gatwick Airport in 2019 to be honest but um, <laughs> he, he, he tries to buy a ticket to the Channel Islands so he okay he's running away from home but why um, do, you know has, has what he has discovered about himself changed his own view of his whole life and I mean, it seems like it has, but I can understand that in terms of school because that's the locus of, of the whole issue. But how does he feel about his parents, who he seems to run away from in the airport? And where does he switch from running away to the Channel Islands to trying to commit suicide by standing in a runway? Uh, well, not to try to justify this, but I think, one, we're supposed to be... Uh of the belief that the boy is so upset that he's behaving in a stupid fashion. That's one. Certainly, and I, and I, but, it, <laughs> but I'd like to know more about the kind of... It's like, yes, it's yes. of course he's going to behave irrationally. Yes, of course he's going to be... It's going to be emotionally charged. But what is he thinking? What is he thinking? I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking that in 1971, you could... You could at 17 or 18 years old, uh, it could probably go somewhere and start another life still. Assume a different identity could, and, and go. Could well be, but is, is, that, is that what he wants to do? He wants, I mean, there are all sorts I, of possibilities here. He could, he could be, I want, to get, I want to go and start another life where no one knows I'm an XYY. Mm -hmm. It could be that he thinks... I'm an XYY, I'm a danger to the people around me, including the people I love, and I still love my parents, Could be that. but I need to take myself away to a Channel Island where the, kind of, the, incredible where the population of people who might be, who I might hack to pieces or whatever is that much smaller. And or inbred or whatever, he, yeah. He might be, he might be feeling um, a sense of betrayal with some of the people in his life or, or um, you know, a, or lack of support if his mother is is now sort of feeling that these things are are true um there are there are well, just there are too many possibilities to it he clearly believes and dad believes it D doesn't matter what dad says. no doesn't matter what dad says to him dad's written all those articles saying these people are evil oh i see so i mean dad's yes here go i don't think he noticed mom beginning to doubt him in fact i think it's yes. interesting dad doesn't doubt him I don't dad think Dad ever did, him, but he not has at any point. These things in the but past. he has written the article. But Mom, who, whenever Stephen is there, has always been straight up. It wasn't until after he ran away that she began to kind of waffle a little bit about. Well, maybe some of it's a little. Trouble, See, I would have liked to. I mean, that that point completely missed. That passed me by. I I thought that the the kind of plot reason for Dad to have uh, to have written the articles. It, it, you know, five years ago, was so that basically in that scene with Quist, where he's looking for sympathy, Quist can just behave like a total <laughs> Quist, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, and uh, you know, and ne never mind the science. I don't like you because you wrote something that wasn't 
sufficiently sophisticated in uh, you know half a decade ago <laughs> and it, it you know it almost seemed to me a kind of removable plot point but actually if it's feeding into Stephen's emotional turmoil at the end it's quite a significant point I would just have I guess I would have liked and uh, you know from a, a resolution point of view as well I would have liked a scene with Stephen and his parents there rather than Stephen and Hardcastle so that he could have he, he could have actually articulated how mm-hmm. that discovery or, or whatever else had had made him feel and had made him feel towards them. Hmm. So we do have, um, and, and I'll and I'll draw. I just want to draw a parallel here because it, if I've been the more I think about this from from week to week, um, if there was ever a show that needed to be picked up and and done by Amazon Prime or Apple Plus, I, we need Doom Watch. To look at this again, you know, here we have this, which is a little bit outdated science, but talk about everybody and their brother running off their their DNA to 23andMe and going into these massive databases where, you know, potentially insurance companies are using them to deny people coverages, potentially, yeah, yeah. Uh, we know police are using them to track down quote unquote suspects for unsolved crimes decades ago uh i mean the, this kind of this kind of study of the human population is only getting worse and and all of the things that we've talked about in doom watch pretty much are still with us but have have moved on it, it seems like a show that maybe we need to remind people that that needs to come back but <clears throat> Well, I'm, anyway. I'm, I may be I may be lamenting the same things I lamented last time we talked about Doomwatch, but the fact that it was seen as something that could be prime time entertainment to actually delve into these these types of issue and 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 give them you know proper exploration, it feels like something that you know we we've gone backwards on that. Absolutely. I think we have. Um, Quist gives, and that leads into Quist gives uh, his little speech at the end, and he talks about <laughs> yes. the, uh, the the us being the sum of our chemicals, and if that bleak day ever comes to pass. Now I'm going to ask this question in absolute seriousness: Are we the sum of our chemicals? And is that a bleak day if we reach the point where we truly understand it? Because I kind of am a bit of a reductionist. I, I believe we could ultimately gather enough knowledge about the human being, the human condition, the way humans work and process and operate. And I'm not sure that there's a random element there. It's just so complex that it appears random to us. I don't know I, that... You mean you're, you're proper... You're proper materialist reductionist yes. Yes. as in, in it would be theoretically possible to predict anything if you had sufficient data about the yes the system and therefore obviously you have a problem with free will yes i do i have i have a problem with the notion of free will i think we have the effectively free will 
or because it's we can't understand that it isn't. But it might not be. <laughs> How about that? It might not be free will. I'm, I'm willing to entertain that notion that at this point we cannot tell. But that well, of course. I mean, there's, of course, there's a very I mean, it's real a philosophical position. Yeah, but and, the, and you know that's why that that's what has frightened people into coming up. You know, that's why Descartes came up with his version of dualism or or what have you, because it it, it became important to be able to protect the realm of. Uh, the spirit, for want of a better word, mm-hmm. or the, you know, the go- the ghost the soul, in the machine. Yeah. And uh, I'm not going to answer that. I'm not going to answer that. I don't <laughs> think. I I don't. On a on a kind of belief level, I don't have a I don't have a strong belief that you could reduce everything and make a prediction. I think that doesn't necessarily result in some argument about spirituality but i think i think we we are talking here about a system that is too complex to be reduced in that way it's 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 it would be impossible to within the constraints of physics to build a prediction machine that would do that um for the the complexity of physics physics is both too complex to do that and yet too limited to allow it to be possible i don't think it will ever happen um so you think it's a physical limitation on the model basically that that we cannot model it in such a such detail that we could then use that model to make it accurate i don't well I, i yeah indeed i don't yes i don't i don't believe that i don't believe the gap there is ever something that can be closed so we'll never be able to predict with a hundred percent certainty how someone will behave if we could is that a bleak day is that a bleak day that's that's a a more interesting question because that's what quist says if that bleak day ever comes to pass like well okay but I don't know. Aren't you in the quest of knowledge, Quist? (laughs) I mean, this is this is this is always this is always the 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 kind of question that I think lies behind these sort of sci-fi stories where you have uh, genuine people personalities, the kind of thing that that Adams was sending up. But but an android that appears to be human. To the you know perfectly simulated consciousness is it is it is it real consciousness um you know to feel to feel pain to feel happiness to feel all sorts of different moods because you assume that the underlying computer the you know the android brain that is 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 running it is completely deterministic and and can be predicted and therefore you get into the question of well if that i don't know what we call it not life form android whatever but if if that computer robot behaves in such a way as to be essentially indistinguishable from human should we treat them any differently from human we have to assume that that 
you know that level of consciousness gives rise to that sense that you are saying we have only as an illusion of free will now i know you're not so they have they have that sense too so never never mind the question of whether we could ever be determined in that way which i think is very much more difficult what 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 would that mean for for someone who was machine who could be totally predicted but believed otherwise I know you're not particularly a, a Star Trek watcher, but I will I will pass this on. You might dig it up and, and spend 45 minutes to watch it. There is a Star Trek Next Generation episode called The Measure of a Man, in which the android crew member, Data, is ordered back to Starfleet for disassembly so that they can figure out what makes him tick, because they don't know. And the rest of the episode is and he doesn't want to do that because it would kill him so the rest of the episode is is that exploration in this case in a court of law what constitutes making him a is he a sentient being or not and it's i understand from a legal standpoint it's pretty crap but uh (laughs) but it you know it raises and it 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 sums him up pretty good in in uh, a short period of time uh but, but yeah but it but it, but it but it is the point because if it w- the same thing your 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 reductionist extrapolation would be the you know the bleak day would result in having to essentially say well what are the point of courts of law and justice because oh. if there is no free will how can you hold anyone responsible for any of their actions but on the other hand if if everything is predetermined anyway what's the point of even asking that question because if we're going to have courts of law and justice then we will have so we might as well stop thinking about it (laughs) yeah i know i can easily see i can easily see why chris would think it is a bleak day i'm not necessarily saying i agree with him but I mean, if you, if you if you could predetermine that somebody was going to do something, then in theory you could use that information to do something to prevent them from doing the predetermined activity that you didn't want to happen. But it would also be predeterminable that you would do that, or that. <laughs> so Indeed. so it just kind and of infinitely what, so, regresses. You know, so, yeah. Certain views of, of time travel, with, with, you know, the, the view where you can't change anything, but if you tra- time travel, you're already part of events, explore the same idea in terms of how, you know, what the implications are for free will, because you suddenly found that whatever you do, you are, you are, you are still following a predetermined path, and therefore you have absolutely zero agency and any sense that you do have turns out to be an enti- entirely an illusion but it's an illusion that you can't get rid of because you're going to carry on acting as if you did have agency because that is what we are predetermined to do you know it is a paradox of, of sorts and and if if everything were predetermined just I'll throw one more out there. If if we could predetermine the entirety of the human race, everything that every person was going to do and everything, 
Then when an alien comes along that we don't have that information on, that is a random element that would throw all of it into complete and absolute chaos. Right? It's just... Well, no, it's just... Uh, our model was... It, it's That's the gap again. Our model um, was insufficient to encompass the full system, which right. should be the Eventually entire Eventually it would be compensated for. Right. Eventually it would be compensated for, probably. But if there are truly random events in the universe, and probably are, from at a, perhaps, at a quantum level, perhaps they truly are random. Um, physicists, I know there's at least one physicist listening. Are your, your, your aliens <laughs> just... Are there truly random events out there? Yeah. No, our, our alien is an unknown factor, throwing the model out. Yes. But... So it's just... It, your alien is just some piece of information that the model wasn't sufficiently wasn't sufficiently complete to include. But you, alien is just one example of that. There are all sorts of other things that could be information that the model wasn't sufficiently complete to include, that are fully terrestrial and are and just result in a discrepancy between what the model predicts and what the actual outcome is. And and you know. As long as you have that gap, and I believe you will, then there is there is no real threat to the illusion of free will. Would there be panic if if the world came to a place where everybody thought that everything was predetermined, which, uh, you know, hard to imagine what that would be like living under. But then when uncertainty is thrown into the mix, what would that do? That's probably all a sidecar. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> probably put that one aside but i think i think we've probably gone a, a lot further than i mean quist's little quist's little um he was standing on a soapbox at that yes. point at least metaphorically it was essentially the writer of the episode if 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 he could have broken the fourth wall he could, he he would have because it mm. was essentially turning to speak to us to explain to us the moral of the story that we had just watched. Yes. Yes, there was that. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Uh, okay, so I got a couple little minor things to throw out here. The first is suicide by airplane. Gotta be a first, I think. It's like, mm, and and not the most believable one. <laughs> It was, okay. Certainly, it wasn't. I don't know how successful it would be. It, it reminded me of the film Pushing Tin. Didn't they call the tower Where and they, tell them there was somebody out on the runway? So wouldn't they have diverted the flight off anyway? I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. Uh, again, it, it's Gatwick, it, not Heathrow. Just let him land. The need that needed to be explored a little bit more for us to to understand properly. The, the jeopardy and the motivations there again it actually ended up feeling a bit rushed and a bit confused mm. uh, once again we have an episode that the plot points turn on John Ridge's sexual appetite is that well it wouldn't be doing much without that <laughs> it would not be doing um, I had to I had to go back and watch the sequence where he first enters the episode and he's talking to dr chantry and she said oh you look like hell and and his resp- and you know i'm looking at this picture and thinking uh hungover uh late night tired dragon uh you know that kind of thing and his response is it's a little plastic razor from designed for pixie armpits and 
The first time through that, I just felt like there were words flung at my ears and they didn't make any sense, but obviously it means he was sleeping with somebody last night. And and when I watched it again and I'm like, oh, he's literally talking about he had to shave with an armpit razor and that's why he looks yes. like hell this morning. Wow. Yes. I would never notice that about someone in a million years. He could walk in not slightly shaved perfectly, and it just wouldn't even... I would not ever go, wow, you look like hell this morning, John. It's like, I just, I don't know. Different time, I guess. Different time. <laughs> but yes, he apparently got the information about the school data, the blood samples coming from a school because he was either chatting up or something more. The girl who was delivering the samples. If they didn't have John Ridge and his libido, they would have some serious problems. Also note, enormous <laughs> coincidence that this story happens to occur again where Ensor is working at Doomwatch and it happens to be both the school that Ensor is working at and a scientist or a reporter who had previously written about this research and who had some knowledge and interaction with Quist to do that. That I find a little see, the, 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 problematic the, the, the in Doomwatch. Can, the latter I can forgive. The, the former just seems to me it, it, it's like that everyone in the world of Doomwatch is tripping over each other because they're mm -hmm. just literally the guy who's working at the school. You know, you come back to the Doomwatch lab and boom, there he is. I don't really see why that had to be the case. I mean, they would have come across Ensor when they came across the school i guess i guess it was a device to get to get them interested in his research at, at the beginning of the story mm. franklin being a journalist didn't seem to me as much of a problem being Except a that science he's a journalist, journalist written about that particular thing it just <laughs> yeah you know? i guess maybe i mean the, the thing that seemed to me a coincidence too far was when he started jumping up and down and saying you know i'm a i'm a a professional colleague of dr quist of Doomwatch, and i thought oh goodness me so you know ensor knows quist and ensor's working at school but franklin knows quist what i then actually quite liked was the fact that when he turned up at the office quist was like who the hell is he and like many a journalist, he'd, he'd completely exaggerated that aspect of their connection. Hmm. So I, 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 th I, I thought the kind of... The, the chances that he had come across Quist if he were a journalist and he were a science reporter were quite high but he wasn't anything like a professional colleague. So that was, a, that was perfectly believable, given that he was in that field. Fair enough. Um, Olaf Puvi, I assume it's pronounced Puvi, I'm not sure, as Ensor, did two things. One, was there a reason that they made a point of referring to him as Mr. Ensor? <clears throat> so he apparently was not a doctor. I thought, I thought they referred to him as Dr. Ensor, but I... I thought they did too, but then going back, the only time I could twice. find it, I could hear... Well, I didn't watch the whole episode twice. I watched bits of it the second time through. And, and the places where I did hit it, they referred to him as Mr. Ensor. Mm -hmm. Particularly Quist. But that could just be denigrating him. I don't know. 
But I put Doctor Ensor in my notes, but I I did I did originally I've also too. just put Ensor. I just assumed. Don't know where I got that, that from. It Ensor. could be an assumption. Yeah. This is Professor Stallman from Inferno, which would have been about ooh, almost the same year. Oh, yes, playing yes. the same character. <laughs> Dedicated yes. scientist who cannot see the forest for the trees and is focused on what he's going to prove and yep. damn it all. <laughs> it's like, it's the only that two roles I've ever seen. It is, it is an exact only, parallel. Only two roles I've ever seen him in. <laughs> he plays the same guy, basically. Um, we mentioned it's, it earlier. It's, oh, God. I was just going to say, you know, it's a good cast with. Um, you've got Bernard Hapton in it as Franklin, Franklin Senior, mm-hmm. um, who has, who was in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and it has in fact played both Toby Esterhazy um, and George Smiley on the radio, mm-hmm. and Col- Colin Jevons, who has appeared in all sorts of things. Is um, that uh, Tooting or uh, botting? the headmaster Botting? Yeah. Yeah, the, head, Inspector the headmaster Lestrade. who, I, who I, I, see, I see and I think, I recognise him from somewhere, but I can't ever remember where it is because it's, his face is so recognisable and yet he does play quite different characters. But um, It's Lestrade. He, he, was, he was, well, he was in The Avengers as well and, uh, and of course, House of Cards, hmm. the original and best House of Cards, that is. Um, let's see. We've mentioned it, but uh, Quist seems to really have something up his butt the last few episodes. Yep. I, I, I mean, he's really well, always. unreasonably nasty. Um, yeah. Hardcastle's back. So we got our yes, Hardcastle and Ridge where, where private detectives <laughs> team back in back. action. Yeah. Wow. It's like there's a team. Suddenly, although Hardcastle apparently is just stuck in a little room off the side. Yeah, there's a team and it doesn't seem like there's enough for them all to do. So I I have I have slightly mixed feelings now because it, it almost seemed like the, the, the best episodes that we have have been episodes where it is essentially pared down to just Quist and Ridge. Mm-hmm. Or 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 I think the the one with the invasion invasion? That was yes, mostly Ridge and Hardcastle. Hardcastle. At, that, at that point, Hardcastle is actually playing a, a, a full-on member of the team. Um, but, we, you know, we've had an episode where it is literally just Quist and Ridge. We've had an episode where it is Quist and Ridge and Hardcastle is a... He's being introduced, so he's he's not actually a mm-hmm. member of the team. And likewise, an episode with Faye, where she's being introduced. So it, it's felt like through... All but one of the episodes then um, prior to this of the of the second series, it has been the Quist and Ridge show. That's probably f- pretty fair. I I guess they're probably the uh, the popular kids on the show. I'm not sure. It's hard to say. Ridge is sort of strangely likable, despite the fact that he is an odious human being. <laughs> <laughs> He's charismatic. But, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if I particularly want to have him around to tea anytime soon but right yes. but, well yeah I, I, Karis, I'm, I'm using likeable in a sort of yeah there's something about the guy that you just kind of like eh, yeah, he, he just like you wouldn't want you know J.R. Ewing around or you wouldn't want 
Caravan around <laughs> there, but there's something about them that's like he's not quite meant to be the villain either. It's not like that, but yeah, he's just he's a and he's a jerk. <laughs> it's like he's really, really a jerk. Um, yeah, <clears throat> some some episodes worse than others, but um, I guess my last question here, uh, even though like I said, I'm advocating for them to redo, uh, have an entirely new series of of Doom Watch and and update it for all the stuff that's going wrong now uh well i mean what have they been doing (laughs) but uh you know my question is how long before they run out of nightmare scenarios for them to make episodes out of i i I genuinely i i'd like to think that they're just about out of them (laughs) Well, they got us. We're less than halfway through, aren't we? I mean, I know we're not going to be able to watch all of them, but I know it's like how, how long is it till you know sleep deprivation? You or you and or, Ben were asking this question back in series one. I know, but actually, they've been pulling much more interesting things, in my view, out of the bag for series two. So, I I hope I, they can carry on doing that. I mean, obviously, eventually the show went off the air, possibly. I don't know why. I mean, did it go off the air because the writers just said, you know, we're done? Or did the BBC say we're done? Or, or uh, you know, because I don't think it was, I don't think they were, they don't, BBC doesn't use ratings, so I'm sure it wasn't that. Um, if anything <laughs> well, is crass sure as, that. as that or commercialism or anything. But uh, at least back I, in I, the early I, 70s. I don't, I don't want to look into it too deeply because I, right. I want to avoid spoilers, but... I think there was some kind of schism later on between uh, the producer Terence Dudley and the creators uh, Kit Pedler and Jerry Davis. Ah. So that may have had something to do with it. Mm. Could could I, I, I think I think the, the creators left the show, um, and I I guess if that had an effect on it, then the executives at the BBC may not have liked what was being put out. That's possible. I guess we'll find out if it turns seriously awful at some point. Well, we won't have all of the evidence because it's only, as I understand, it's only series two that is complete, complete. and we'll be yep. we'll be back into missing episodes in series three. Yes, yes. Do you have anything else about? Um, I do actually have one thing I wanted to to say. Um, just because it struck me as being so extraordinary for 1971. Judy, when um, asked some question about the survey they were filling in, she said they all liked it because it was like computer dating. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. Has computer dating really been going around since 1971? Didn't they do something like that in The Avengers? Oh, I don't remember that. In the original Avengers? Yeah. I, I thought there was like a matching something somewhere. We use computerized matching to come up with the perfect... Gosh, I feel like, oh. I feel like there was. I feel like there was, now you mention it. it wasn't, but remember... It wasn't, in, it wasn't in the murder market, was it? I, I, was I can't it even tell you it's Tara... It might have been a Tara King... I think it. I think it might be a Tara King. 
So, I, and, and therefore, maybe only a year or two before. But on the other hand, I still think the point stands, which is the Avengers is fantasy. <laughs> uh, certainly, by the time Tara King comes along, and yet Doomwatch is firmly rooted in the reality of here and now, and 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 we've got a thirteen-year-old who is familiar uh, with the concept of computer dating. I, I think I think actually, so it's quite known. It was well. I don't think that people understood what they did. I mean, I I don't remember the timeline of this. I looked into this once for. I don't remember why, just because I'm in computers. Uh, at one point, this literally involved putting data into Hollerith cards and then basically lining them up to see how many holes oh. matched. Well, that's like the course. earliest, earliest form of computer matching, as they would just punch it out and like, oh, these two forms match. It was like you got eight holes in com- in common, so you two are uh, it, it, not not remotely algorithmically scientific at all. Just no, really could I, have been I, done. I, it. I just I love the idea that you know, at, in an era when a, a computer would take up an entire room, mm. you'd be thinking. Right. What can we use this machine for most usefully? <laughs> and start Ask John Ridge, and I think we'll know. <laughs> well, yes, exactly. Of I, course I, they did. There is something about the survey, now that you mention it. Uh, Ridge says something incredibly truthful in this episode. Something to the effect of, I find that the questions in a survey reveal as much about the person asking the questions oh, as yes. it does the the person who's answering the questions and yeah. you know he's he's there's a very clear implication there that ensource test is extremely biased without actually saying it yes you know he's looking for violence and he's looking for the combination to make that and he's he's phrased it and uh wow i i can't tell you how many times not for that particular topic but i mean that many over the years and in, in my professional career where people make up surveys and you can just you can just look at them and go this is not going to give you valid results this this is you know this is going to give you the results that you want and i don't know whether they realize that and they just following that path or whether or not it's a subconscious or conscious bias towards making data that's wrong in the end it's not valid i don't know which it is but i mean i think we know insource probably intentionally loading it in this episode so yeah all right uh that it that's all I've got. All right. In that case, uh, I believe the next episode is The Iron Doctor, which sounds okay. really promising. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds it's like a great... Cyberman one, hasn't it? It, it, could, it could very well be. <laughs> all right. Well, Simon, thank you for joining me. It's my pleasure, as always. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. 
You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at fusionpatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production.